We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Transformative Principle, Episode 87 with Jerry Pascal. We had... Jerry, as she introduced herself to us and only said her last name once, she came and spoke to our district about PLCs. She works for Solution Tree and provides strategies and tips for schools to really increase their ability to do a PLC well and also to really focus the culture on providing what's best for the students. So I had a great time listening to her. She was a great presenter and I think that PLCs are an amazing way to do things. And she talked a lot during her presentation about how PLCs are what we do. It's a way of life. It's not a program or something. It's it's just what we do. And I love that thought about the things we do in education. We don't adopt programs. We just do what it is that we need to do. And she really um, demonstrated that. And I was really glad to be there. So. I hope you enjoy this interview with her. She definitely um, inspired me and inspired my teachers, and I learned a ton. We could you just kind of go over an overview of what you're uh, focusing on with our teachers specifically today? That um, today and then the past two days, I've worked with all of the teachers um, in Kodiak, and we have spoken about professional learning communities. And professional learning communities focus in on three big ideas. We focus in on learning through a collaborative culture and being able to be governed by results. And then within that, uh, those three big ideas, we focus in on four critical questions which help us walk the walk, so to speak, and be able to focus in on what um, we want kids to learn and know and do. We focus in on whether they got it or not through uh, data. And then really questions three and four help us focus in on what are we going to do for the child who may not know it 
after we've taught it and how do we need to intervene or what do we do for the child and how do we extend their learning if in fact they already knew it before we even taught it which does happen so you mentioned as you were discussing t we're talking about all those things but we really spent a lot of time talking about culture and why is it that culture is so important to focusing on student learning to be able to focus in on student learning the the culture of the building has to be that all of us believe not only believe that all students can learn but really that we are willing to do something about it that we are doing whatever it takes and you'll know just like we talked about earlier today you'll know what the culture of the building is when you walk in because it is what is valued it is what is repeated because what is what is uh, recognized gets repeated of course we know that and so the culture of the building how we treat our adults how we treat our kids um, what it is that we expect in a professional learning community we know that there are things that are loose and that there are tight things as well and the things that we value the things that we are going to say are non-negotiable those are our tights and we believe in a PLC that the tight is learning you will not leave this unit this course of study uh, this year without knowing the essential outcomes that we've deemed necessary so that when students go on they go on prepared for the next level and that's really culture that is understanding that I play an integral role in that um, one of the activities that we're going to do this afternoon has to do with remembering uh, letters actually in a configuration but when one of us doesn't do our best to be able to meet the goal then of course the goal is not met and our goal is for learning at all at, at all students learning at high levels and so when that's the culture of your building everyone's working in the right direction that that's great and what I've seen is that when schools have a good culture then all these other things just kind of fall into place and you don't have to worry as much about the little things that sometimes trip us up as educators because we're focused on on being professional and working well together um, what advice do you have for a school who has a negative culture and how to turn that around um, one of the one of the people that uh, I was speaking with this morning said that before she took a job at the school she was telling people that uh, the school people were saying negative things about the school how do you suggest that you change those things in the community I think one of the first things that you do is to be able to identify why you're why you're here what is your mission what is your what are your values um, what is it that we are in school for we are not um, obviously in school for um, a job it is but 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 I, I think that what what we as adults have to deem necessary is why we're here and I think that that then can um, help pave the way so to speak um, to get to a different level again it kind of goes back to what it is you value what what is your um, culture I, I use a, an example this morning as you'll remember is what do what are the stories that we tell the stories we tell will define our culture 
and we want to make sure that those stories honestly are about student learning and student learning at high levels and if we are not um, able to do that with our culture the way it is then we need to take a look at our culture and to understand why is it that we are here um, in his book good to great I know that um, he talks about the fact that good companies uh, all take a look at where they're at before they move forward and I think that that's what Jim Collins meant was that you're able to take a look at your culture to say how do we want it to be what is it that what's our purpose and how do we get better um, I gave an example this morning of cell phones we all have cell phones and if uh, the number of people out there who who um, work on cell phones had not taken a look at where they were before they moved forward we'd be all using the bricks that we used to carry around and I think teachers need to do that as well I think that of all of the professions uh, that are out there we are the ones I think where it's most critical that we can we can reflect because when we can reflect on our practice reflect on how we did with kids um, we can then get better at it yeah. absolutely that reflection is so powerful and um, you suggested that we look at why it is that we're not um, where we want to be what are some suggestions you have for having those conversations with people who are pretty satisfied with the status quo because it's been good to them? Uh, what, how would you approach that conversation with someone who's happy with where we're at? You know, Gardner, who of course did his work with multiple intelligences, also worked, did a work, uh, excuse me, did, uh, wrote a book called Changing Minds. And he talks about there are various things um, that we can do when we work to change someone's mind and I think that it's human nature and it's natural to start out with reason and research because that's something that I think we're used to using especially in education but we can go through several steps um, that he mentions in the book in including but not limited to um, being able to talk with the individual and say you know what about the cultural change for example what you're talking about what about this do you have such an issue with and maybe if we can reword it or tweak it then they can come on board um, another piece that he talks about is being able to have real-world examples in other words if you have someone who is doing the work and someone else or another group who is not get the group who is struggling to go watch the other group teachers a lot of times will say but I don't want to be looked at as the expert and what uh, what Gardner is saying is that we need to highlight those people who are doing the work with those real-world examples so they can be able to be uh, really put put in a highlight to be able to say a spotlight to be able to say you're doing it this is how we want it done and focus in on that so we want to do there's a variety of steps to go through before we get to confrontation and and because you know there are times when leaders uh, do have to say because this is what we said but you can build consensus um, on where you want to go and um, to do that um, lots of conversation uh, lots of difficult conversations possibly at times 
but again being able to use all the tools in your arsenal to be able to help the the folks understand um, that status quo is just not acceptable anymore you know it's interesting and I apologize for going on a tangent but two-thirds of the jobs that students will go into now in present day um, require an above high school education of some kind whether it uh, and what and it could be a variety of different things whether it be training or on to a, a college or or a higher education of some kind and so I think that the the schools that we used to have are no longer those schools my father um, was grew up in a small town and and um, and was a farmer went into the family business worked hard but he had a high school education did what he did and did very well my brother, who is um, then, of course, you know, next generation, also wanted to go into the family business, did, did so, but he also had to go and get a college degree because even though they both had gone into the same family business, it had changed over 20, 30 years. And so um, I think what we have to do in education is take a realistic look at what it is that we are preparing uh, our folks for. And our kids, it's interesting, I have two kids. I have a 17-year-old and I have a 9-year-old. And the world that my 17-year-old will go into will be different than my 9-year-old. And so what we want to do, and I know as a parent, what I want for them is to be happy and to be healthy and to be prosperous at what it is that they are able to do. But we have to give them the tools to be able to do that. Yeah, and that's one of the things that I love about the PLC process is that it's really focused on what do the kids need to learn, how do we know if they if they did learn it, and how do we know, and then what are we going to do if they do and don't get it. Um, and, and what I love about that is that we're not confined to standards at, um, you know, we recently have adopted the Common Core, and that was a big change for all the states, and that doesn't really affect the PLC yes. process it really just becomes, okay, these are the standards that we're told our kids need to learn, so we're gonna focus on those. You know, one of the, one of the great ironies you, that you mentioned was that teachers want to be the experts to their students, but don't want to be the experts to their peers. Why do you think that is, and what are some suggestions for helping them overcome that idea that it's bad to be the expert among their peers? I I think it goes back to a cultural piece again. I, I think for so long um, we all learned the same, even though we really didn't, but we all learned the same. And I think that that, that idea of mass production, it's, it's just different now. And I would say that, um, first of all, be confident in what you do. And if... Um, you know what it is you want to do. Um, make sure that it is in line with what is best for students. And then hold true to that. Um, be willing to make mistakes. Be willing to put yourself out there. What we want to be able to do in a professional learning community is to create that environment where we are uh, working interdependently of one another. And that collaborative culture is really much different than just being congenial with one another, just liking each other. We all like each other. Um, but it's a matter of being able to say, 
this is what I am very, very good at. How can I help this student in really, and, and then we as adults in a collective group help the student or students reach that goal. So we recognize the uniqueness of what we can bring to the table. And you know, I think also knowing that, that we're not gonna be perfect at everything. And understanding that we can learn from those around us just like they can learn from us. And so it truly is a collective effort. It's an interdependent effort um, to reach that common goal. Because just like you know, we've talked about, that focus in on learning is great. And, but I, I will tell you, we can't meet every need of every child on every day, not just not one person. I was a relatively good uh, first year teacher. I taught fifth grade in Topeka, Kansas. And I was relatively good at what I did. But I know that I didn't meet every need of every child on every day. And so what we have to be able to do is collectively do that so that we can work interdependently and meet those standards that you were talking about. And not be afraid to say these standards are most important. It doesn't mean that you don't teach the other ones but you don't necessarily have to intervene on absolutely everything because again, you won't have the ability to do that. So that knowing your strengths and areas of concern and, and be able to bring those to the table is what I would tell probably teachers out there. Well, and, and that idea that you can um, only, you can give yourself permission to only intervene on the things that are absolutely essential, exactly. I think is very freeing for teachers because then they can say, you know what? this kid doesn't get this one concept and I'm okay with that because I'm saying that's not essential but when this concept over here that I am saying is essential they don't get it mm -hmm. I'm gonna do anything and everything to make sure that they do right. get that right. um, you talked a little bit about um, what stories we tell and for a moment I'm just gonna brag a little bit because it was pretty cool um, our school went and visited all the kids before school started oh. And so you were, <laughs> thank you, you were talking about what, what is in our newspaper. And mm -hmm. just yesterday, our school was on the front of the newspaper awesome. for doing that, which was really cool. And what was so neat about that was that that is us um, really having a story to tell. Exactly. In the summer, we had 18 teachers and staff who volunteered their time um, to go out and make sure every kid felt like they were cared for. Mm -hmm when that's our culture it becomes possible for us to do a lot of things that we couldn't have done when the kids didn't know that we cared about them exactly. or when the perception was that we didn't but it's hard to argue when we've said it so many times and we've actually gone out and done it mm -hmm. that that's not what we're doing so um so that was really exciting and um was really cool to hear you talk about what's in the newspaper is what matters well, and it, you know, the old adage is people will sometimes believe what you say, but they will always believe what you do. And that's a perfect example of being able to make that connection because, you know, as we, as we travel around and as we talk with schools and, and, and really have this work embedded into the culture of your school, you do start to see that how important it is to be able to connect to the community and to be able to connect to those kids. And now they'll know. They'll know who you are before school starts. When they walk in your school on Monday, they're going to already have a leg up. And so are your teachers. And that is, I think, part 
the part of PLCs that teachers, especially when you're just learning about PLCs, I think that's one of the things that we forget is this work is beneficial to us as well. And, and I know one of our participants this morning made a comment that, um, but you grow being collaborative. You, you will grow, professionally grow um, a tremendous amount. And, and it's really, I think personally, it's almost impossible not to grow um, when you work together collaboratively. So I, I think that I applaud your teachers because that is, and you uh, for going out because now you have really um, not cemented the relationship, but you've definitely put a step forward. That it, really, it even goes beyond the uh, sending postcards home. That's wonderful. That is wonderful. Thank you. We were, we were really excited about it. I actually learned from it, uh, learned about the idea and co got coached by a uh, Principal Rob Carroll out in Kentucky, who's just doing amazing things all the time, and he has a hashtag that he uses on Instagram that's TGIM. Thank God it's Monday, and awesome. it's uh, he's just yeah. excited to be at school and yep. excited to be working with those kids, and it's really great to see that among other people. Yeah, and I think uh, you know that's part of the culture cultural piece as well too. Is you know you want to create an environment where kids want to be. We want to create an environment where um, adults want to be. And so I think that that's a wonderful piece. You know, you mentioned, um, and I apologize, I just was thinking, uh, you know, one of the things that um, you said, what would I give, what advice would I give to people as well with culture? And, and, uh, and just like I talked about this morning, we know that there are going to be some things that we need to start doing. Um, in in schools, and I have no no uh, no illusions about that. I think that we we try to start doing things, but I also think that part of having those conversations, not just with ourselves but with our colleagues, is to be able to say what do we need to stop doing. I gave the example today of uh, I was sending emails to our principals all the time, and I realized that I had asked them to be in classrooms, and um, what I was doing was I was sending them emails asking them to do things at the same time I was saying go to be in the classroom. So what I had to do was I had to stop sending those emails during the day. I think that we have to be able to do that with ourselves and that is so difficult. Teachers are so caring and so diligent and so attending to the task that we have a tendency to want to do it all. And what we have to be able to do with our essential outcomes and with working interdependently is say, we know it's going to be done. It doesn't have to be done by us. And so if we need to stop doing that is counterproductive to the culture we're trying to create, which of course is you know culture of student learning, if it's counterproductive to something that I need to do or get done for my students, then we need to go ahead and have permission to be able to stop that. And I know that the, the focus here uh, in Kodiak is to be able to do that. Absolutely. I was just going to reiterate that, that there have been many things that we've, that we've done for years or that we've started doing that we say, you know, this isn't really working out, so we need to, it's not really best for kids, it's not really helping kids learn, so let's, right. let's cut it out. And um, thankfully, w we're in a district where the, district administration really you does do. support mm -hmm. that and so. and so. it is amazing that that happens because um one of the one of the teachers that i work with um didn't do so well in their evaluation last year and 
um, said, I don't want to do a plan of improvement because I don't want to do just another pointless meeting. And my response was, neither do I. <laughs> I don't want to exactly. do that either. Let's not do anything that is a waste of either one of our times. And um, if we can commit to doing those kinds of things, then the the words that we came up with, the supportive, professional, honest, trust, respect, unified, that define how adults treat each other in our schools, um, that was an activity we did. If we can, if we can do those things, we can we can definitely support those those key terms. Um, so, if if we're in a situation where we're starting down the PLC path and and we need to get going, um, we've already got school initiatives. We've already got things that we're doing. We've already got plans. One of the things that we're going to need to do is have a PLC meeting, mm -hmm. right? What what does that PLC meeting look like? And the talk about the frequency and and when we how we schedule and prioritize that. I, I would say that um, if you can focus in on the four questions, the four critical questions, and and I'd rather look at it as a collaborative opportunity rather than just quote unquote a meeting. Um, but being able to focus in on those four critical questions, number one. What do you want your kids to be able to know and do? Because those are your essential outcomes. And you really can't answer the other questions until you've answered that. And uh, I have a colleague, uh, Kim Bailey, who said, think big, start small. And I loved it. So I'm going to continue that and say, think big, start small. And if that means teachers take a look at the unit of, first unit of instruction that they're going to do, what do we want our kids to know about that unit? From that unit, at the end of our unit, what do we want our kids to be able to know and do? And then building our assessments around, around those essential outcomes. And so that really answers your question number two, which is how do we know that they're going to have learned it? We want to make sure that we're using the right assessment. We're using, uh, using the data correctly. Um, our, and then, of course, you can answer questions three and four, which is number three, which is how are we going to respond then when those kids don't know it? Because no matter, the, the, you can have the most perfect lesson, you're still, you might have the opportunity to have kids who didn't know it for a variety of reasons, who didn't learn it. And then really question number four, which is what are you going to do um, if you've got kids who have already mastered it? Because we all know just putting another packet of work in front of them is not the way to go. And so just like Kim has, uh, my colleague Kim has said, start or think big, start small. And so I would say that that would probably be one of the things um, that would be most effective because we can handle a unit of instruction. When we look at a whole year and looking at essential outcomes for that whole year, that's a little overwhelming. And, and it would be very, very easy to get our PLC opportunities to be derailed. Um, the other thing that I would say is I am pretty much a purist when it comes to PLC. And albeit I know that um, it would be very easy to look at our time and say, oh gosh, I would like to go, I, I have that time on Friday, let's go ahead and. Let's not do that. You know, that time should be as precious to you as anything else. And so we have to make sure that we keep that as pure as possible. And so, albeit I know that we would love to be able to discuss the last fire drill we just had, bottom line is we've got to keep our, our, our focus focused. 
and the you know it really uh, Mike Matos, um, one of our, our colleagues and and a, and a guru with regards to response to intervention, talks about what is the business of our business, why are we here, and so if we can answer that honestly, we're here for student learning. So if we can keep the business of our business within our PLCs focused in on that student learning and those four critical questions allow us to be able to do that, kind of give us something to hold on to, we can go ahead and, and make that time uh, beneficial really to everyone, but of course especially to students. Um, cool story about Mike Matos. We, uh, we are doing a different schedule where we have tutorials, which as I'm sure you know he does at uh -huh. his school, and we made a video for parents and teachers to describe that and we you know mentioned him and Austin Buffum who who helped Wonderful. us go down that path yes. and uh, Mike actually um, sent a message on Twitter to my assistant oh, principal okay. and said why don't you call me and we'll chat and he gave us 30 minutes of his time and it was amazing and Great. it was really cool to to know that we're going down the right path and awesome. and have that support so Definitely a shout out to Mike. He's he's definitely awesome. Um, so the question that uh, I know teachers are asking because they're asking me it is, what about our grades? Um, what? How do we deal with grading things and doing this? We're in a standards-based system here, so um, we've got that going for us, which I think is a good thing. Um, but then, do we need to grade every single assignment? Do we need to grade? Um, only the essential standards. What about all the other stuff they're supposed to learn? How do we how do we reconcile that? Well, and I think that the the answer to that, albeit uh, I could I could provide uh, you know a one pat answer to that. I think what's more uh, powerful is the conversation that that your faculty and and your teachers will have behind what really grades mean. And what what uh, what is mastery? Is mastery, uh, you know, a four out of five on a rubric? Is mastery so those things are going to be um, those going those the power to that is going to be really from your staff. They have that magic that 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 conversation that they can that they can have. Um, no, for for definitely you do not. Please don't grade everything, um, because I think that you'll you you would really um, hyper each other into a frenzy probably if you did that. Um, you know, I I think that that um, and research will tell us. You know, when you have formative assessments, if you can marry formative and summative assessments both within your uh, wheelhouse, so to speak, you can. Um, be able to take a look and, and a lot of researchers will say that that formative is not necessarily graded because you know it's it's you're looking at it uh, the, the, the little steps along the way it's really assessment uh, for learning you're using the assessment to be able to say can I do this can I not and then the why piece of it that's so important Marzano in his book uh, the highly engaged classroom talks about four different pillars, um, and I know Tim Brown, a colleague of ours, does a lot of work on this, is the, the last pillar that is, is uh, so very important is really um, that self-efficacy that I can research. And Marzano talks about the fact that you can have uh, a double-digit um, gain for students if you're able to bring those students in to the process of being able to identify what it is I know, 
what it is I don't and why don't I know it. Did I make a, a silly mistake on addition or did I not carry correctly or, you know, it could be a variety of different things, but bringing them into um, the learning process so they can take ownership. Um, I think that, that that causes the learning to go just increase uh, increase and increase and continue to increase um, but the I, I don't I, I don't want to get tied up in the one right answer what I would much rather do is the magic that your your staff can create in that conversation and then as long as everyone is well trained and understands the goals then I think that um, Again, that goes back to culture, and you'll have that united culture to be able to say, and, and here's another thing about culture, is when you have that culture of focusing and unlearning, absolutely everything you do will change. Everything changes when you work as a PLC and have that focus. And here's the thing, eventually all the kids will be looking at that saying, everywhere I turn, everywhere I turn, someone is saying to me, you can do it and I'm going to help. And even for those who may not quite be as enthusiastic learners as others, finally they'll say, well, I might as well do it because everybody's going to keep bugging me until I do anyway. So that's really what you, know, what you want. And, uh, and that's the, the beauty of, of seeing everybody achieve at high levels. Yeah, that's definitely powerful. Um, we're a pretty small school. We've got one teacher for each subject area for each grade level. Um, not a lot of opportunities for teaming at the right. same grade level. Right. Um, what we've done this year is um, set up uh, grade level um, prep periods so that teachers can um, plan together with their team to really focus on the students mm -hmm. and to focus less on their individual content, but to have that support for our kids so that they're the ones who are coming first and we're focusing on their learning as a team. Sure. Um, how do we what what's your advice on grade level plcs versus content area plcs and how do we where's the difference and different importance there well and i and i think that i i think that in a middle school uh i think that they're both important i think that being able to uh vertically align as well as horizontally align i think that that that's very important i think that when you work as a subject level, you may not have others who teach that subject level. So um, being able to do it virtually, and I know that that is something that, that you have done, and I know the outlying schools have done that as well. Um, it isn't the same as being able to meet face to face, but it can be just as rich and have just as rich conversation. Um, I encourage you not just to meet those who are in your district, but to be able to, to see if we can virtually connect through uh, throughout the state or, or really throughout the, the, the country. There is no reason that we couldn't. And I know through um, allthingsplc.info, which is a website that we, that uh, Solution Tree has, that you can buy nothing on there. Um, there's no commerce, but you can find other school districts that look like you. 
um, to be able to collaborate with. So I know that that is a very rich opportunity to have your science and your math be able to talk with other science and math teachers who would be talking the same language, so to speak. And then also I do think it's beneficial to have all of your seventh grade teachers or all of your eighth grade teachers or sixth or whatever to be able to discuss because then you can truly talk about uh, possible patterns with kids, um, things to look out for, um, an area if, if a child is, is having something um, outside of our purview because we do have a sphere of influence. Um, but if something is going on that we need to know about, obviously, then we can all share that um, and just be able to be that, you know, the best intervention is prevention. And uh, we want to make sure that that we can do just that is prevent um, any kind of failure because, you know, failure is not an option. And I know it's a it's a trite saying, but you know you talk about grades and and since you're standards based you you're you're well you're well on your way um but and and i said it earlier you know it i would love to have a school that that has an a b c and not yet because if you're truly having a school district that is you know it, failure isn't an option in learning for all then why would you allow c's and d's or excuse me d's and f's and so um, that's, I think, your, your standards base is, is well on its way. So kudos to that, too. Thank you so much for your time today. I have one last question that I ask everybody is, what is one thing someone can do this week to become a transformative principal? Where do we start? Wow. <laughs> I would say help your teachers to understand uh, the value of what it is they do by talking with them and getting clear on their focus. Getting clear, you know, Becky DeFore talks about clarity preceding competence. And so we need to get clear on what we're doing and why we're here. And especially um, as we begin a school year, we're beginning schools, you know, the this is the time. There's nothing like the beginning of school. And, um, and getting clear on why you're here and uh, not even setting goals, not even setting all of those things, but getting clear on why it is that you walk in the door every day. I think that that's probably one of the most important things that principals can do. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. My name is Jethro Jones, and I appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you do me a favor and click on the show notes for this episode, I've got a quick little one-question survey. What is the biggest thing that is most challenging to you right now? If you could take a minute and answer that question, that will help me find guests that are more applicable to the things that you need to have happen in your school. And I'm happy to find ways to help you be a transformative principal. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. You can follow the show at Transformative Principle. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, 
improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.